Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Now, hard as it is to believe, last night at Staples, the Lakers were hosting their first playoff game since 2013, looking for their first home playoff win since 2012. So, that being said, you know they were looking to put on a show, and they did just that, especially in the second half. And this series, the one that everybody was looking forward to, became spicy as hell. I love it. I mean, it always is, right? When Chris Paul shows up and starts blasting people on the package or undercutting them on rebounds. And so as not to disappoint, the point God got it going early on in game one with that incident involving he and LeBron. Remember when LeBron hit the floor, hit the deck, looking like he had just taken a bazooka blast? Lakers were pissed. You knew right then that Chris Paul would be a major storyline, just like he always is this time of year. This time of year, that dude generally is dragging his team, whichever team it is, into the postseason with a shot at a deep run, only to inevitably get hurt and kill any chance they have at a title. How many times have we seen that from Chris Paul? We saw it in Houston. We saw it with the Clippers, and now we're seeing it with the Suns. Just as we're seeing the same guy agitate, cheap shot, allegedly, other dudes. So again, that was game one. Spicy as hell. Then you get to game two. Game two of the cage match. And AD ripping a page from Paul's playbook and blasting Jay Crowder in the package. You know what I'm getting at is they don't like each other. Which means I love the whole thing. And then that brings us to last night's game, game three. Before I get to how badly that game ended for the Suns, let's go to the third quarter first because that's where it all turned. That's where the Suns started to lose their poise and their composure and it all started to unravel. It was a third quarter. That's when L.A. was up by three but then ended up by 13. Like LeBron did not really look himself in the first half, but clearly – He went into the locker room. He made some adjustments. He came out of the locker room a much different dude. And by much different, I mean much more aggressive. So did his teammates, who were feeding off that newfound aggression. Suddenly, instead of settling for shots on the perimeter, big dude finally started to get it going downhill. Finally started to attack the rack. And his teammates fed off of him flipping the switch. In other words, Operation Bully Ball was in full effect in the third quarter, and the Lakers looked like the defending champs for the first time in a long time. They were aggressive, they were physical, they were getting into the paint, and they were getting into the Suns' domes, and the wreckage was easy to see. You see, Suns fan, that's the part that's got to concern you the most. Not just that your team lost, but how they lost. The fact that they lost their composure and their poise. You know, and by the way, was that not the question coming in? Isn't that what everybody wanted to know coming in? Whether or not a young team like this could handle the big stage and the bright lights. And last night, they didn't. You know, maybe, maybe they can with a healthy Chris Paul leading them, but he's not healthy. And they're not the same team without him at or near his best. And the next thing you know, the Suns are allowing themselves to get hooked. Like in the fourth quarter, when LeBron got Jay Crowder on him in isolation. At that point, they've got a 19-point lead. 
And LeBron made dude look bad. Made him look really, really bad. Jay Crowder, those two had some memorable duels in the finals last year. Crowder for the Heat. And they are leaning on each other right now. This has become personal between these two. Cleared out. LeBron wants Crowder. Shot clock to seven. Spins off of him. LeBron hangs. The reverse is good. And look at the Laker bench. Yeah, like I said, I'm not sure who enjoyed that more. LeBron or the Lakers bench. I think I'll give that to the bench because that crew was on its feet talking and chirping the moment LeBron got that ball in his hands. They knew. The bench knew what was coming. They knew it so well. Bench the salt. They knew it so well that Andre Drummond was acting it out before it even happened, holding on to an invisible ball and getting an invisible defender on his back before shaking him off. And benching the salt. And then when LeBron finished that off, the bench was celebrating that punk job like they had just won the lottery. Or another championship. Or both. But it wasn't just LeBron going at Crowder. Dennis Schroeder and and Devin Booker had been talking the entire game as well. And when Schroeder drove the lane with 35 seconds left, it all came to a head. They don't play like one. They don't feel like one. As Schroeder is... Fouls. Booker called for the foul. Schroeder hit the deck. That was a push was there. A push. But he, got, he, got, he got pushed twice. He got Booker it. fouls out. I think they might get him because Schroeder's in the air and it's a flat out push. Scott foul Foster. Foul penalty two of oh, penalty two. A Booker. Oh, wow. So Booker ejected here. Well, Booker had picked up his sixth foul anyway, but Andre did do a flagrant two. An ugly finish to this one. In game three. Like I said, lost their heads, lost their poise, lost their composure, lost the game, may have lost the series. I guess you could say push came to shove. Hey, oh. hey, listen, no. Also, you know what I don't need? What I really don't need right now is for some old schoolers to come in here and talk about how soft the NBA is. Yes, I understand that was not exactly Kevin McHale, clotheslining Kurt Rambis back in the day. I also understand that Schroeder sold it with an extra roll or five. But the fact is, it's not a basketball play. And it's not a soft take either. This should not be a discussion about the bad boy Pistons and whether or not they could play in the league today. This is not what that's about. This is about the Suns melting down and losing their cool. Booker's shove was ruled a flagrant two. He got run. Crowder, who was not called for anything on that play, was teed up, and he got run. And they couldn't have been happy that the guy who they just fouled popped right up on his knucks and busted out a few push-ups and then knocked in his free throws to ice it and stave off any possibility for some ugly-ass backdoor cover by the Suns. Like, no, the Suns were not going to come back from a 21-point deficit to win that game, but they were doing enough late to scare any betters who hit the Lakers minus 6.5 or the Lakers minus 7. No names mentioned. This guy. Me. That said, an ugly end for the Suns. And even though they won, the Lakers were still pissed after it was over. Check out A.D., Check out A.D. and what he had to say and the way he went in on Booker. 
Can't happen. Can't do that. I mean, they've been chirping as playoff basketball, but you don't push a guy out the air like that. Two hands. It's a dirty play. Dennis could have really got hurt right there. You know, that, that just can't happen. Hard fouls, things like that. Playoff basketball, we, we accept those. But, you know, just to blatantly push a guy, you know, with two hands out the air, it's a scary play. Good thing he's okay, but uh, plays like that, you know, is unacceptable. Yeah, like I said, we're not talking about old school enforcers here. We're not talking about Maurice Lucas Rick Mahorn, Kevin McHale, but it doesn't matter. It's neither here nor there. AD is actually right. You can't push a guy when he's in air. And that's what happened. Schroeder himself also weighed in. There wasn't a basketball play in the regular season. That's probably a suspension as well. <laughs> you know, he's got a good point. And as he points out, that was the end of a long night for a good, good player in Booker. I mean, at the end of the day, my mom raised me right. At the end of the day, when somebody talks to me first, I'm going to talk back. And it don't matter who it is. If somebody talks to me disrespectfully, I'm going to do the same thing. So at the end of the day, uh, we're going to battle there. You know, nobody's going to disrespect me. At the end of the day, I mean, I just talked back and somebody took it too sensitive. I mean, fouled me. All right, so the end of that, to me, is key. It's no accident that he threw in that, took it too sensitive. Like, he wants everybody to know where the Suns are right now mentally, how mentally fragile they are right now. The fact that two guys got ejected, that they got run at the end of the game. See, that's the thing. It's not just that they're down two games to one. Like, that's not insurmountable. Even against the defending champs, win the next game, and you rip the home court right back. But nothing about the Suns and the way that game ended made it sound like that's going to happen, especially Paul being busted up. If he's not right or near right, this series is going to be over before you know it, if it's not already over. And how ironic. <laughs> I mean, how rich ironic. and ironic. How ironic that as great ironic. as Chris Paul is, he was the guy complaining about getting need in the nuts during the postgame presser. I got need in the nuts. Okay. I got need in the nuts. I got need in the nuts. Chris Paul. I got need in the nuts. I got need in the nuts. Hey, look, that sucks, right? Obviously. But how rich is that? Ask anybody who has been on the receiving end of a Chris Paul package blast. Arr! The Hall of Famer competing and trying to help his team win. I got need in the nuts. That's rich. So his shoulder and nads were not his only issues either. He was also salty about the officiating, in particular one official, Scott Foster. We got to try to, you know, limit uh, their free throw attempts. You know, they're shooting a lot of free throws last game tonight. I mean, if I was a betting man, 11, 11 games in a row. 11 games in a row. Thank you for the time, Chris. 11 in a row is tough. Oh, man. It's like he wanted to make damn sure everybody knew that's 11 playoff games in a row that Chris Paul has been kneed in the nuts by Scott Foster. 11 games in a row. He's lost 11 games in a row refed by Scott Foster. I mean, that, that's pretty interesting. I'm guessing if you ask Chris Paul, he would tell you that's 11 games in a row that he's lost to Scott Foster. Except I'm here to tell you that was not about Foster. That game was not close enough for it to be about Scott Foster. 
That was more about the fact that Chris Paul is dealing with a shoulder injury, got kneed in the nuts, and the Lakers bullied them, especially on the inside. And then finally, it got even worse after the game with a series of tweets which popped up from Chris Paul's account, including, quote, I own a Disney and La Mickey and bleep the Lakers. They bleeping suck, end quote. So, yes, to add insult to injury, Chris Paul reportedly got hacked. Hacked also. A shot to the junk. He lost the game, he complained about the refs, and he got hacked. The grand slam of terrible nights. And now the Suns have to shake all that off before Sunday. Good luck with that. I mean, that whole thing to me is just so ionic. Nothing better than a noted or alleged nut puncher getting punched in the nuts. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm not. But if you were to go to YouTube, there is a compilation video titled Chris Paul Nut Puncher. I got need in the nuts. Shout out to Julius Hodge. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. He is Charles Robinson. Dude, what's going on, Charles? How are you? Doing well, brother. How are you doing today? Good, man. Good. Great to have you back. Thanks so much. Let me start you off with the latest piece you have up for Yahoo. It's been about a month since the draft. The updates on Aaron Rodgers. How much have things changed in the past month from where you're sitting? Where does that stand right now? Well, I, you know, I think we're where we started. Um, I still think you have both sides dug in on this thing and, you know, no one really is sure exactly what Aaron Rodgers wants to make him happy if there's any way to patch up the situation with the Packers. But I, I think what is different now a month later is that now everyone's spoken. You know, Aaron Rodgers went on ESPN. He spoke to Kenny Mayne. And I think what was interesting, you know, when you process that and, and sort of sat there and, and went over it for a couple of days and looked at it, he had his opportunities. He had his opportunities to kill the Packers, and he didn't do it. And, um, you know, I think if you're the Packers and you're looking for – any semblance of hope in in trying to patch this thing up with Aaron Rodgers, whether it's through money, whether it's through some kind of an apology, whether it's um, you know creating some sort of internal infrastructure that makes him feel like you know he's more involved in, in some of the things that they do roster wise with the offense. Um, I think the fact that Rodgers was in friendly confines and did not come out and just lay the wood to the Packers in that moment and instead kind of appealed to the fans a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think for the Packers, that's probably, you know, a slight sign of hope here. Now, you know, Rodgers didn't knock anything down. It wasn't a good interview for the Packers front office. He didn't knock anything down. He certainly didn't go out of his way to say anything nice about the Packers front office, whereas he sure did with seemingly everyone else around the franchise. But, you know, I think if you're the Packers, you're sitting there going, okay, well, you know, we're still not to June 8th, which is the reporting date for mandatory minicamp. Um, let's see what happens there. 
And if this guy doesn't show up for mandatory mini camps, we still have until, you know, really late July, which is the kickoff for uh, training camp to try and, you know, get something done and fix this and, and patch it up. And, you know, I, I think that's progress, at least in terms of the Packers, because up until this point, up until Monday, they had no idea what was going to come out of Aaron Rodgers' mouth when he spoke, in particular when he spoke with someone who is going to be very friendly and give him the opportunity to really lay the wood to him. We're talking to Charles Robinson. I like that response. Now, if Rodgers had not been the league MVP last year, do you think that he would still be a Packer right now, or would the team have moved on so they could get to Jordan Love? I, I think he would have because I don't – look, Jordan Love, and, I, and I've seen some people report that, you know, they were really happy with everything that went down with Jordan Love over the course of the last season. I don't, I don't think that's accurate, uh, personally, at least from the people I've spoken to. Jordan Love um, had a very, very up-and-down um, season just in terms of his learning curve, in terms of where he is physically as a player – where his development is as a as a not only a passer but a thrower, his ability to throw the football mechanically. Um, there's just a lot of work to do there, and I think the coaching staff, from individuals that I've spoken to, it's clear the coaching staff's like, "Hey, this guy's got some time. Like, there's going to be some time to really develop this guy and, and get him to where we think he needs to go." And 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 so I think they're completely unsure about what Jordan Love is going to be moving forward. So I, I think. Say Aaron Rodgers had a had a really good season, but not quite an MVP caliber season. I still think the Packers would have been in the situation where they're like, you know, Jordan Love's not ready. So I, I think the Packers probably would have kept him in the fold in 2021. Now, when Rodgers talks about you know throwing a wrench into it, that's absolutely something I had heard um, going back to really when this whole thing started. That Rodgers felt like when he had the MVP season. He put the Packers into a, into a scenario where they absolutely had no choice. Like if Jordan Love had been great last year in practice, it wouldn't have mattered. The Packers would have had no choice but to keep it in 2021 because you just don't move MVPs. Remarkably unpopular move, um, you know, for any franchise. And so from that standpoint, I agree with Rodgers. He feels like he, he threw a little bit of a wrench into it. But I also think there's a, there's a Jordan Love story here in, in all of this that's kind of being missed. And I, I think that story is that at least up until um, the the end of last season. I have no idea what Jordan Love's been able to accomplish since the season ended, but up until the end of last season, I don't think the coaching staff was comfortable um, really risking their futures as a staff on, on Jordan Love moving forward without Aaron Rodgers. Charles Robinson is joining us. So when you lay it out like that, and based on the people that you're talking to, based on the interview you saw him do with Kenny Mayne, if you had to guess what is it that you think that he wants? Like, what would he like to have happen so he could feel good about going back there? What's he looking for specifically? Well, I, number one, I think the Packers would have to convince him that, look, your outs here are not what maybe they were in, in February and March when a lot of this dialogue was going back and forth between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers thought, hey, you know, we're, we're going to quietly play our hand before the draft and I'm going to get dealt, and it's going to happen going into the draft. I think he, I really truly believe Aaron Rodgers thought he was getting dealt to the 49ers the week of the draft, and then that didn't happen. And so I think the dynamics changed a little bit in terms of potential landing spots for Aaron Rodgers. I don't, I don't think, number one, the price, the idea that they're going to get three first-round picks out of him might be a little bit of a stretch. You know, I talked to four GMs and two former GMs who are still in NFL front offices and all of them said, look, I, that's, a, that's an overpay. You know, like he is 37, 
This isn't some mid twenties guy who you're gonna you're gonna build your franchise around for a decade, and you still have to pay him on the other side of it. So everyone's even talking about price wise. Hey, start with two first, and then see if you can figure something out. But uh, so first off, I think even the price maybe limits his market a little more than Aaron Rodgers realizes when you when you you know tie that to his age and the realities of how long he's gonna play, and. And so I think if you're the Packers, you go and you say, look, there's just not as many landing spots out there. You know, Denver's probably not going to give up really what we want in this situation. So let's do this. Let's cut you a deal where you're going to end up being the highest paid player in the NFL when you, when you sign this new deal, this rework structure. You're going to be clearly our quarterback for the next two to three seasons, probably three seasons. And, and then look, privately, Brian Gutekunst, we're going to have a sit down. There's going to be some apologies that take place that are going to make you you know, understand that everybody sees where you're coming from in terms of your lack of involvement, you know, maybe not feeling heard within the franchise. And we're going to change a little bit of how we do business to make you more involved in how we do things moving forward. And I think that's really their best shot is to pay him, apologize and make him more involved. And if Aaron Rodgers says no at that point, then you're the Packers and you go, okay, here's the deal. We're not trading you. So you're going to have to retire. And if you're going to retire, then this becomes a different conversation. But um, I think you throw everything at it if you're the Packers, and if he just will not budge, and it looks like he is going to sit out going into training camp, then you start to have you know talks about, okay, are you just walking away from football? Charles Robinson joining us. All right, so now you're all updated on the Packers situation and Aaron Rodgers. Charles, before you go, I want to ask you about Miles Garrett for a minute. I know you saw that video. He goes in a pickup game. Coast to coast, he dunks on some helpless defender, like an amazing display of athleticism for a guy who goes nearly three bills. But if you're the Browns, how concerned would you be watching him do that? I'd be nervous, honestly. And this is the second time, you know, Miles, there's there's this, you know, basketball footage that's gotten out of here. He looks amazing. And, you know, from an athlete standpoint, you watch those clips and you're like, this guy's unreal and has really rounded into really the athlete he was everybody thought he could be when the, the Browns made him the first overall pick but the the truth is Miles Garrett is a guy who's now he's going to be in the defensive player of the year conversation probably every year for the next several years and you know you have other teams like okay let's talk about the Chiefs the Chiefs Brett Veach the general manager you know Patrick Mahomes loves to play basketball that's off the table like you just can't do it like you're our guy you're our centerpiece you're the you know best player in the league highest paid player in the league you can't be playing basketball in the offseason. It's just too big of a risk. I think if you're the Browns, you got to go to Miles Garrett and say, hey, look, we get it. We love it. We love the passion. We love everything. But the thing is, you you are a cornerstone. You know, you're arguably the best player on our team. And, you know, you make this thing go. We have to have you healthy. And as much as we love to see you dunking on guys at the YMCA, uh, you're going to kill one of these guys and you're, you're going to roll your ankle on them when you land on them. And we just can't have that. So, I love seeing the clips. I do. I love it. And I, I love guys, you know, going out and continuing to be in competitive situations in the off season. But I won't lie when I see things like that. I'm just like, man, you are too important to be risking yourself on, you know, Jim from accounting who's just trying not to get murdered on the court. You're right, man. It's, it's an amazing thing to see. Like, it's a crazy, crazy thing to see. But I guarantee the organization can't be happy about that. So really quickly, we're in the early days of the Urban Meyer regime in Jacksonville. He drafted Travis Etienne in the first round, said he was a third down back, then announced that he would get all of the minicap reps and wide receiver. And, of course, he brought back Tim Tebow. What are your early thoughts on what you're seeing from Urban Meyer and how he's handling that situation? 
It's unorthodox. I look the Tebow thing on a, in terms of how it was first pitched. This idea that hey, you know what? He's the 90th man on the roster, trying to make the roster. Fine, I get it. He's a value add. I've sort of said to other people like, hey, if if you're looking at starting signing the guard from Sam Houston State, who you don't know, or Tim Tebow, even though he's been out of the league eight years, but you know he knows your program. He carries what you want as a leader, whatever. You think he'll be good inside the room, and plus he's a a local hero who draws buzz and brings eyeballs to the organization. That's fine. And and you put him at tight end, let him see if he can figure it out. Clearly he spent his time in Gold's gym. I don't think there's any <laughs> any question that, you know, eighty percent of Tebow's weight is in his upper body right now. Um, that's great, fine. But, you know, the Etienne thing, moving him to wide receiver, you know, for for all of his initial reps, again, I think that's tinkering with a first round pick in a way that I think is a little weird and probably, you know, potentially problematic if you keep moving forward. You know, he compares him to Percy Harvin. Look, Percy, you know, you can blame him on whatever you want, but Percy never really became what a lot of people thought he could in the NFL. He was not a successful NFL player. I don't know if I'd be looking at Travis Etienne in that spot. And really what I'm more concerned about now is this idea that's starting to, you know, I saw ESPN came out and said, hey, there are people around the league, not does not come from urban, but people around the league who think that Tim Tebow might be the Taysom Hill type in that organization. That's a problem. I think that's an issue. I think if you're starting to go down that road where you're talking about Tim Tebow taking some quarterback reps away from Trevor Lawrence and you're really even getting involved in the quarterback mix, now I have a problem, and that's where I think you can really start to bash Urban Meyer because I just don't see realistically what the long-term upside is there. You know, Chip Kelly tried to do that with Tim Tebow in Philadelphia. It did not work. And by the way, you know, Tim Tebow and Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill's a better football player. He's always been a better football player. He's a better runner. He's faster. He's a better athlete. He's a better thrower than Tim Tebow. They're not the same guy. If you want to keep Tebow at tight end, fine. But this idea of giving him any quarterback reps, I think, is a big mistake. I mean, you got to be kidding me about that. That is the worst idea ever. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that that's absurd. Don't don't even bring that around here, anybody. That. That, that is an absurd thing. To your point, if you want to talk about Tebow, and he's in great shape, and he's a great guy and a great leader. And by the way, one thought. Do you think that everybody in that locker room appreciates that guy and respects that guy and is happy to see that guy? Or do you think there could be some dissension? No, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I know that there are some players who have been out there, ex-players, who have kind of said like, hey, that, you know, he's taking a guy's spot or whatever. It's different if it's a 53-man roster. It's a 90-man roster. I would argue that, again, this is a value-add situation. He's got a friend in Urban Meyer who's throwing him a lifeline. I, apparently, Tim Tebow doesn't have anything else to do right now. You know, he's gone through his four NFL teams. That didn't work out. Tried Major League Baseball. That didn't work out. You know, he's done TV. He's always going to have TV there for him. Um, this is, I don't know if this is scratching an itch for Tim Tebow or what, but you know, I don't think guys can really be that upset in the locker room. A 90-man roster is so fluid that, honestly, most guys don't even know some of the guys that end up getting cut in a 90-man roster. That's just the, the truth of the numbers. But if you get down to training camp and then this guy's making the 53-man roster, he better have shown it. And, and I don't just mean like on the practice field. He better have shown it in games, in preseason games. He better have shown the ability to not only catch the football, but God forbid – if he's blocking as a tight end and he lets Trevor Lawrence take any lick, any one, you, I, you cut him because I don't think you, you can put a guy on the field who's not a natural blocking tight end and then expect a former NFL quarterback to suddenly block a defensive end or a loose rusher and 
and get your number one pick killed. So I don't think guys, you know, I don't think it's that big of an agitator inside of a locker room until you start to get to those cut downs and you're talking about guys who are losing out on seasonal money, which is what that 53 is. He is a senior NFL reporter for Yahoo, good friend of the program. He is Charles Robinson. Dude, always good to have you on. Thank you so much. Good job, Charles. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jim. Have a good summer, all right? Let me drop some numbers on you. Two out of three men are going to experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. In fact, more than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. Here's another stat for you. There are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss and Keeps offers both. So why don't we talk Keeps for a minute? Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient. Virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered right to your door every three months so you do not have to leave your home. Not only that, but low-cost treatments starting at just 10 bucks per month. And Keeps offers generic versions. Discreet packaging, proven results, and more five-star reviews than any of its competitors. Prevention is the key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to act and you want to act fast. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome and get your first month for free. keeps.com slash Rome. Yo, head, what's cracking? It's like you got kneed in the nuts last night, huh? Yeah, right? Yeah. Over and over and over again. All right, good to have you. Listen, why don't we start right here? The Nets are abusing the Celtics' head. They're up two games to none. It's so much worse than even that. The series is already over. You know it. I know it. Most of all, the Celtics know it. But we're not here to talk about where it all went so wrong for them. We're here to talk about game three. Is this where the Celtics make their stand and bow the hell up? Or do they continue this unwatchable curb stomping? What is the number? Who do you have here, Head? The number I have is Nets minus seven and a half, and I'll hit that. I, now, I expect the Celtics to have their best foot forward, and I think Jason Tatum actually finally plays better. He does have an eye injury now. Hopefully it's not as serious as LeBron and seeing three baskets and all. But <laughs> last week I took the Nets gym with a similar spread in game one. They played poor, weren't gelling, and still covered. Brooklyn's ball movement was better in game two. And when the Nets are spacing and moving the ball around, they can't be stopped. You have to have all your scores to keep up. Boston doesn't. They aren't at full strength. Sorry, Boston. I love your Bruins, but I'm going Nets minus seven and a half right here. So what's here. up, Head? Are you not buying that LeBron saw three baskets and just shot at the middle one? Oh, no. Not, not at all, Jim. No. Uh-uh. All right. So look. Man's game. <laughs> Man's game. So Celtics fan, I'm not here to pile on. In fact, I'm here to pick you up. Good news, bad news. As I said, your series is already over. There's your bad news. The good news is you're still not even the most disappointing team that's still playing. Nope. That distinction belongs to the Clippers, who tanked their last two games in the regular season to avoid the Lakers and instead play Luka and the Mavs. The Clippers will never, ever learn. Man, they're manning the hell down head, just like they did in the postseason last year, and they're getting abused yet again. Honestly, taking nothing away from the Mavs, I couldn't be any less impressed with the Clippers than I am right now. They're minus two heading into game three. Are they going to get right, and how are you playing this one? So no argument on how disappointing they've been, but I'm going to say the Clippers get right here, Jim. 
Luca is making the Clippers pay on every single thing, and the dudes around him are, have been shooting lights out. They've hit 50% of their threes, uh, threes, and Tim Hardaway Jr., he's hit 64% from downtown. But I just have to go with the law of averages on those numbers and think they come down a touch. You can't argue with the Mavs and their trends against the spread, spread lately. 4-0 and in their last four after scoring uh, more than 125 points. Uh, points their previous game out four and zero in their last four games as a dog five and zero in their last five versus a team with a winning percentage above 600 but overall as the home team this year they've only covered 41 percent of the time the money is on dallas but i'm gonna go the other way and i'm taking the clippers minus two and i'm actually gonna take a small shot on la plus 225 to win this series oh look at you yep okay that's something you know i gotta admit when I started off by posing that question, I was not feeling good about them at all. I'm still not feeling good about them at all, but a little bit better. Maybe enough to go minus two, but not good enough to pick them in the series. Would you get plus 225 right now? Yeah, plus 225 to win the series. All right. Yep. Knicks and Hawks back in the ATL after they split the first two games in New York. You could say that the Hawks did exactly what they needed to do. They got that game. They ripped the home court. I could also argue, though, Head, they could easily be up two games to none with both their hands around the Knicks' throat. While they might regret letting game two get away, they are still in a great spot. But if you want them in game three, you're going to have to lay four points. What are you doing with the Hawks and Knicks game three in Atlanta? I'm laying the points and I'm taking the Hawks here. New York is a great, great road dog, but Atlanta is the best home cover in the entire NBA this season, hitting at nearly 64% of their mm. games. They've also won 11 straight home games and 19 of their last 21 games there. Also, Couple that with the fact that the Atlanta role players around Trey Young have not played good at all. John Collins, for the first time in his career, went scoreless in Game 2. He averaged 18 points a game in three games in the regular season against New York. He should be better tonight. So should uh, Bogdanovich and Gallinari here. I'm going with the best home cover in the association, Jim. Atlanta, minus four. I was going to reset that. The best home cover in the association at better than 60%. I like that. Hawks, minus four. All right. Now, the beauty of the NFL, Head, is that it really is 365, 24-7. Even if there aren't games, there's almost always some kind of action. As an example, Julio Jones. Hard mm -hmm. to tell if he wants out of Atlanta or the team wants him out as a casualty of the cap, but it's pretty clear he's going to end up someplace else. So, of course, there's an angle of where does he go? Suddenly, the Patriots are the betting favorite to land him. Whether or not that's a good fit for him and a good bet for us are two entirely different things. So let me get your thoughts on both those things. Is that a good fit for him, and would that be a good bet for us? I don't get the New England thing. I think it's a horrible-ass fit for him, and I, I can't understand why they are the favorites here. I can't imagine him going there and wanting to play with Cam Newton or a rookie quarterback up there. I hate that. That'd be awful. I mean, leave Atlanta in what really could be, Jim, their only chance to win with that high-powered offense with Ryan Ridley and Pitts for Cam Newton. No thanks there. I am going to bet this for sure. I'm thinking of teams who have money and believe Julio can push them over the top. Now, Green Bay would be sexy as hell at plus 1,200 here, and that could possibly be a way of turning the entire Aaron Rodgers situation around, but their money just doesn't seem right to me. I'm going to go small, and I'm going to take the Colts at plus 1,000. I actually love them here. If Carson Wentz can just be a top 15, top 15 quarterback 
Julio Jones makes them a serious threat to win a Super Bowl. The defense is very, very good. Their roster is loaded. They have money, and Chris Ballard has been calculated with everything he's done. A true number one receiver would take this next level, so I like them at plus 1,000. And if you wanted to throw something else, Vegas and a number one receiver at plus 1,200 doesn't seem too bad to me either. Mav, you love that play. You love, love that it. guy with the Colts. I know you do. Love it. Speaking yeah. of things you love, Maverick. If the NHL postseason is the best postseason, and I've said that before, yes, there is nothing better than a Game 7, which is what we have tonight with the Minnesota Wild looking to bounce back from a 3-1 deficit on the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas was dominant at home this year. They went 21-5-2 there, but the Wild have won two out of three there in the playoffs. Are they going to do it again tonight? Shock the world. How are you handling a Game 7 in Vegas? So before the playoffs started, I hit Boston plus 1,000 to win it all. And for my hedge, I, it was down to Colorado and Vegas. I went with the Avs, but obviously, I think extremely high of the Golden Knights. So I have to stick with them here, and I'm taking the Golden Knights on the money line. You mentioned the home ice difference for Vegas from regular season to playoffs. That's tough, and Minnesota in the Western Conference is tough. Cam Talbot has been uh, magnificent at times in goalie for the Wild but I'm riding with the Golden Knights defense and Marc-Andre Fleury and net. Also, they are 8-0 in their last eight games following a loss of three or more goals. Game 7, Golden Knights, Vegas on the money line, Jim. What is the money, the money line right now? I think I see 170, minus 170 on the money line. Hey, what is it about you and hockey? Like, we, we love hockey. I love the NHL. I know you do. Are you trying to tell me that the clones like to hit that? Will they get down and bet pucks? I know you've said it before. I'm just having a hard time accepting it. Does that really happen? No, I think they, they, they hit it and they bet it a lot because they tweet at me a lot of the whole thing. But then they just love hockey. They love talking about it. They love anything on hockey. The clones well, absolutely love it. And the Stanley Cup playoffs for them, it's even better. Okay, so you're sure it's not just you making money on it. They really do like it. No, because I hit better on the NBA regular season and NFL regular season. Just saying that. NHL is 50-50 right now about, so it's not the money thing. All right, so really quickly, a point of clarification. I was going on about how pumped I was that we had Jay Cutler on our podcast this Hell week. Yeah. And even though I don't root for anybody or anything other than something to talk about, you, on the other hand, Head, are a diehard Broncos honk. I know you love Cutler. Like, you really love Cutler. So here's my question. Mm -hmm. End of the day, who's your dude? Is it Cuddy or is it John Elway? You know, like, hey, John, time to see Mr. Rome. Come on, girl, come on. Time to meet Mr. Rome. You tell me, all right. You you are a hardcore Broncos honk. Who is your guy? Cutty yeah, I'm or a, Elway? I'm, oh, dude. How about, how about can we put the lobster in there too? I mean, if I yes, had to you say can. Three of them, yes. Lobster, John, and Jay. Three dudes. I'll I'll, I'll go to I'll go to the grave arguing for. I love all three of those guys. If I had to choose, Cutler number one, one A, Lobster, one B, Elway. Why? Break I it down for me quickly. Uh, Jay loved him coming out of college, love his bravado, love how he doesn't allow people to tell him anything. He just believes in himself, so he didn't really care getting traded. Shanahan, one of the most underrated football coaches of all time. He was just horrible in personnel, but when it came to game planning, he was second to none. He just had too much control of personnel. And Elway, for most of his career, until Shanahan showed up late, he was kind of, I, I don't know, screwed with the personnel they put around him and the situation that he had, so... I'm definitely those three guys more than actually the Broncos. So when Cutler left, I had to leave for a while, too. They, they, they did it to me one offseason. Shanahan, the lobster, and Cutler out. So I had to leave. <laughs>
A bad offseason for you, Head. All oh, right, horrible. so recap and reset us before you go. What are you looking at this weekend? If they're joining us late, who are you hitting? Nets minus 7.5. Clippers minus 2 and plus 225 for the series. Going to take a shot, the shot there. Hawks minus 4 tonight oh against God. the Knicks. Julio plus 1,000 at the Colts. And I, I like the Raiders at plus 1,200 as well. And Vegas, game 7, money line to win that game. Big, fat ass, big head bet segment. Let's get paid. Good job, head. Well done. Thanks, Jim. It is the perfect season for a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Summer Sale Event. Save up to 45% on secure PCs built for business with Windows 10 Pro. You'll also find great savings on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and other accessories to help boost productivity. Plus, enjoy free shipping on everything. Do more with modern devices and Windows 10 Pro. Call 877-ASK-DELL for a Dell Technologies advisor who can help you find the right tech. That's 877-ASK-DELL for business specials during Dell's Summer sale event he is chris haynes chris what's going on how are you Romy rome always good to be on thanks for having me you too dude thanks for doing it appreciate you all right so you were at staples last night for game three of suns lakers what did you make of how that game changed in the second half and how the lakers started to put that hammer down get more aggressive and pull away yeah they they really in that second half really put on a burst there uh you can see lebron james you know throughout the series he's been like picking his spots you know he hasn't been on on a hundred mode, you know, from first to fourth quarter, you know, he's just doing it at spurts, kind of allowing AD to kind of take charge and own us on the offense again. And they're right now, they're 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 starting to find the rhythm. They're starting to find a click. You know, this is a team, a Laker team that had a lot of injuries during a lot of part of the season, um, health and safety protocols as far as Dennis Schroeder is concerned, and. They they weren't able to find any continuity going to the postseason, so this is all coming out. You know, this is all coming out on the fly right now, and you know, it was really impressive how they were able to you know create some distance that separation. But I'm gonna tell you this, Ron, that Phoenix Suns team, you can't you can't discount them. Even with Chris Paul hurt and injured right now, that team has a lot of pride over there, man. That well coached with Monty Williams, I I, I don't think it's over. Uh, definitely Lakers, you know, took control, but man, this, this series is far from over. If you ask uh, I think they've got heart. I think they've got grit. I think Chris Paul being banged up, obviously is not a good thing at all. I think they're in trouble. I'm not going to say it's over, but I think they're in some trouble. Chris Haynes, my guest, Chris, you mentioned LeBron and AD both. So let me ask you this from a Lakers perspective, is this series more about LeBron or AD? I think it's more about AD right now because LeBron James, you know, I reported it, um, yesterday on TNT during the broadcast that that ankle injury that, that he's still going through right now, uh, I was told that when it first happened, he he was informed that he would have to sit out the remainder of the season in order for it to get fully healthy. And we all know that you know he wasn't going to do that. So this is going to be something that's going to be lingering. So with that being said, the onus is going to be on AD to carry the load. And that's why they're going to AD. They start the game off going to AD, trying to get him in the rhythm, trying to get his confidence up so it can be sustainable throughout the game. And so I, that's why I say AD is the guy that's going to have to lead the charge until LeBron James can get to a point where he can start imposing his will from start to finish. Right now he's picking his spot, so AD is going to have to be the catalyst. We're talking to Chris Haynes. So, Chris, at the end of that game, things got chippy. They got testy in the final minute. Devin Booker and Jay Crowder both ejected after Booker's foul on Dennis Schroeder. What were your thoughts as that unfolded? And then what did you make of what Anthony Davis said to you after the game when you asked him about that play? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's always good to get a you know get a player's point of view right after a game because you know it's still in the, the emotions of everything. But you know, he called a dirty play. He said it was uncalled for. It's unacceptable. Uh, they don't need to be playing that way. And you know, I was I was actually along the baseline right right there when it happened. When I saw the you know Devin Booker shove and led to you know Jay Crowder getting ejected. You know, soon after that, but. But that's what I that's what I'm saying. You don't never want to see a game get to that point. You you don't want to see it reaching levels like that. But what you do like is the fact that the Suns, you know, you, you can see uh, you can see how ticked off they are uh, right now. You can see how, you know, they you, you can just see them losing control. But the fact is, you know that they're not going to stop. You know, even you know, to play like that. I don't I don't condone that shove in that manner, but in a play like that they're still not going to try to give up an easy, a easy basket, even though the game is, you know, is not within reach for them. So that's why I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how the Suns going to come back on Sunday. Chris Haynes joining us. All right. So to that point, like AD said, that's a dirty play. It's just a dirty play. Then you go back to Game One, Chris. What about Frank Vogel saying he did not like Chris Paul's box out of LeBron? Where do you think the team comes out on that? Would that also be considered a dirty play? What's the reaction to that play? Yeah, no, that that's 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 you got a point there, Jim. I, I remember I talked to um, Monty Williams um, two days after Frank Vogel said that was a dirty play by Chris Paul, and Monty Williams said he addressed. He told me he addressed the team the next day at practice when they got to L.A. and told them we were not engaged in any distractions. He called what Vogel did a distraction. He said they were trying to lure them in and get them into a situation where it took their focus off of basketball, and he said we were not engage in that we will handle our business affairs in between the lines on the court so i, I you know it'll be interesting to see these next few days because we got some days in between before sunday to see what where the, where the talking points are coming from moving forward and how 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 are the lakers what is Vogel going to say about you know about that shove and what is uh you know what's going to be Monty's response? And so, you know, right right now, man, it's getting chippy. You like to see it in playoff basketball. You just hope it doesn't go too far. Talking to Chris Haynes. All right, Chris, what about Chris Paul? Like he's dealing with that shoulder injury since game one. After game three, he said the shoulder was not the issue. He was dealing with a shot to the groin that that gave him problems. Overall, how does he look to you right now? Nah, he, he's he's not himself. He's not right. You know that you know second game against um, second straight game where he didn't play significant minutes down the stretch. Um, he's not himself. He was you know Jim. He was dribbling uh, before the game. He was dribbling and passing with a, a weighted ball, and he was dribbling it okay. But once he tried to pass across his body with his right hand uh, to a to a teammate, he started he's favoring that shoulder. So which leads me to believe. That you know, you know those plays that point guards make when they're dribbling on one side of the court and they make that that pass uh, opposite side uh, in the corner. I, I don't think he can make that pass right now, especially not make that pass and, and without without experiencing any pain. And so that's one thing I know is he he's not right. And yeah, I, th- th- he did take a growing shot, but the shoulder is the concern right here. That's what's keeping him out. That's what's keeping him from being effective. Uh, for significant portions of the game, and you know, you hope that with these couple of days, I think can, you know, still build build upon that and, and get better. But I, I just don't know if he's going to be the Chris Paul, the top, you know, the the MVP candidate that we've seen this season. I don't know if we're going to get that as well. 
Chris Haynes joining me for a few more moments. You know, Chris, the fans are back, obviously, but there have been multiple incidents this week that there's absolutely no excuse for, no place for. You've been covering games with fans in the building. What's it like to have them back? Well, I'd say, so I'm I'm on this series right now, um, the Lakers and Suns series throughout. And the Suns arena is basically two capacity. You know, there's a few thousand short of capacity. And that environment gym was nuts. You know, they they had the chance. You know, you got to remember in Phoenix, you know, it's the first time they've been in the playoffs in a long time. So you got that going against the opposing team. Then you also have the fact that they're getting into this is the first you know, the first time they're in the arena to this capacity. So you had all that going against the Lakers and it was just the noise, the atmosphere, the element, you know, and you know, I reported, you know, for Yahoo Sports that the the Minnesota Timberwolves actually um, had brought D'Angelo Russell to that game one game in Phoenix to give him a glimpse on what a playoff atmosphere, you know, is like, you know, so that can help that team moving forward. Uh, then, then the series shifted to L.A. and they got about seven thousand, and you know, it's cool. It's a cool, cool size. But I, I talked to Frank Vogel <laughs> about this, and he was like, "Look, there's no comparison. You know." The, Phoenix has a better home court advantage than we do right now because of the fan base, but you know, I mean, because of the fan uh, capacity that they can hold right now. So that's something they're fighting through. But no, when the fans are there and it's almost damn near packed, uh, it's it's an incredible feeling because they've been going so long. We're talking to Chris Haynes. One more thought for you. You had another legend, Vincent Goodwill, on Posted Up recently. The Clippers <laughs> came up. What do you make of how the Clippers are trying to defend Luka in this series? I'm just really surprised that they aren't taking the ball out of his hands. Um, and I know Dallas has a lot of shooters that if you double and trap Luka, um, those guys can make shots. But you have to at least try. You know, and, and you know, I, I, I'm, you know I'm, I don't know if disappointed is the word, but I'm, I'm a little surprised, you know, that, you know, the Clippers have two of the top perimeter defenders in the league and, you know, they're not getting it done. And, Aside from them not getting it done, a lot of times they're not even on them to begin with. So, uh, you know, I'm a little confused by that. And uh, this is definitely, nobody's seen this coming. Uh, this is, you know, you think about the way that they position themselves. I'm not going to say tank, but position themselves to get this matchup and then to come out this way, it, it would be an embarrassment. And it, it would be a colossal embarrassment if they were to get ousted in the first round. And so, uh, you know, they, they got some things to do. And, and, look, if they are to get bounced in the first round, you know, they got a, they got a big uh, – they, they got something that's big and looming, you know, coming up, and that's Kawhi um, Leonard's free agency. So they, they got to get it together. Oh, I have no problem saying I'm disappointed in what I'm seeing, and I've got no problem saying they did tank those last two games. They tanked those last <laughs> two games to avoid the Lakers, and look what they end up with. The same thing as yep. last year. So I, I agree with you. They, they're in a bad spot, man. They better get right fast because if they don't get it done and they go out unceremoniously in the first round, then they lose Kawhi. It, what could be worse than that? One final thought. When it comes to the most improved player, you made a really interesting point, I thought, about Julius Randle, who won the award. Did he improve enough and take a big enough step statistically for you to make that case that he was most improved? Or did you already know that he had all of this in him already? Yeah, Jim. So I was, you know, I was one... So with 98 writers, it might have been 99, picked you know Julius Randle to be. I think it was 98. Picked him to be the the most improved winner. 
And I was one of two, I believe, to not have him on my ballot at all. And the reason I did, look, he had a phenomenal season. You cannot take that away. He had career years. I believe he averaged 24 and 9 or something like that this year, I believe. But, Jim, I mean, a few years ago, last year, he averaged 21 and 6. I'm saying, like, so I'm looking at it like I always knew he did this. You know what I mean? He's done this before. Now, he's on a better team, and he's being coached better. He has a, better, he has a coach that's in the running for um, coach of the year. I didn't see – I'm not trying to diminish his jump. Yes, he did improve, but I looked at his numbers before. He averaged 20 on two other occasions. I looked at his numbers before, his statistics before. He's done this. You know, this is, this is who he is. And, yes, players have better years, but – you know, does he deserve it more so than a Jeremy Grant, who averaged 20 for the first time in his career, or Chris Boucher of Toronto, or who I forgot who my second guy I, I voted for was. But, uh, you know, I, I, just, I saw this. This is, this is the player. And so I, I left him completely off my most improved. But it's not, it's not a knock to him. I just felt like he was always this caliber of a player. He is a senior NBA insider for Yahoo Sports, a TNT sideline reporter, host of the Post It Up with Chris Haynes podcast. Good friend of the program, too. My man, Chris, great having you back. Thank you very much. A great weekend. Yeah, anytime, anytime, buddy. You take care. Ever think things like this, like I'm not going very far, or I'm in a rush, or it's too uncomfortable, or sometimes I just forget. Listen, do not kid yourself. There is no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2019, nearly 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 43% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. So no matter what kind of a car you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still have to buckle up. The same goes for when you ride in taxis or you use ride-sharing services too. Law enforcement is on the lookout and writing tickets, so why would you take that risk? Seatbelts save lives. Do the smart thing. Buckle up every single trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. He is a golden ticket recipient, CJ. What's going on, CJ? Wow, that that is hard to follow up. I could say I've had experiences like that also. On the BART, luckily I have a car and I live in the suburbs, so I don't really run into those issues every day. Wow. Uh, you know, the Lady Clone game <laughs> is really on point lately. Bella B, Ashley Margot, and of course, Danica. And I'm going to say it again, War Lady Clones, you know, that Silk Bro beef. I'm calling it off. I saw three chins, and I just aimed for the middle one. I abused this kid. But I'm going to warn all of you, your favorite callers are pathetic. Don't look at their social, or you will lose all respect for them. Here's the taste. Rick and Buffalo via Twitter. If there's a hashtag better man than Eric Silkinson. I have yet to meet him. Can't wait for my return to hashtag HB and I might stay all hashtag summer. Do you think you can hook me up with the place hashtag bra? This obsequious toady begs a trailer park monitor for a summer vacation tin box in a city prone to rioting ran by a total idiot with a broken face to freeload in. That is having Buffalo's back. Even Rick doesn't want to be in Buffalo and Easy with the hashtags, little Ricky. You're not 12. I'm going to root for you in the smack-off so you can put the dumpster diving aside for a while 
and buy the family basics like electricity and running water. Thoughts and prayers, bro. Brad and Corona, last week Silk Bro writes after the smack-off announcement, Daniel LaRusso's going to fight. <laughs> Creepy Brad writes, I'm Johnny Lawrence, bro. That sums it up, Brad. He lost like you. He was a disgrace like you. Then he became an alcoholic scumbag and a total mess like the image you project. Credit where credit is due. The Creeper is, in fact, a legendary caller. But Brad Winslow II is a legendary D-bag. And this is the tip of the iceberg. They all chat online like the Varsity Cheer Squad. And their captain is, you guessed it, American Chewy Brad. They all kiss the ring and bow down to him. Eric and Scabs beg for his approval. It's a clown show. And Vic and NoCal, I mean, his social is just vile and quite frankly disturbing. Seriously, get professional help. CJ in the Bay. It's a really, really exclusive fraternity. This guy is in it. He won it all in 2013. Let's go to Hollywood. Mark in Hollywood. What's going on, Mark? How are you? Uh, uh, Jim, I'm, I'm hoping I'm the 98th caller because I'm trying to win the golden nugget because I got the phrase that pays so I can get the free tickets to the Spin Doctors. The Spin Doctors, baby, let's go! My man. It's like, nah, Jim, of course I'm here to RSVP for the 27th Smack-Off, and I don't necessarily need a player profile. I get profiled enough if you see me working. But this is one of the most unique, most seminal Smack-Offs to ever take place because... This is the first smack-off where we don't have a freaking defending champion since that block-headed goon left in lasagna has refused to show his cheese-eating, pimply rat face for a whole freaking year. Are you kidding me? I mean, what's going on here, Left? Did you and Rich Flores have a conscious uncoupling, and now you're like typical divorcees, putting all of your mutual friends in awkward positions when you strategically shove them into pictures you take for the gram with the hashtag, a living my best life? Or did Rich Flores have a conscious uncoupling with having a residence? And you can't find the guy to write your script because his writer's room is now located under the 101-405 interchange, and he's busy snorting booger sugar off of I-Ray's thong. Listen up, Laguna Beach Bagel. You have a responsibility to show up, no matter how many ear-shrinking surgeries you've had throughout the year. Think about the smack-off like a movie franchise, and you're the lead. But you lost the director or writer that made the franchise what it is, and now you're on your own. Like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 2 or Debbie Does Dallas 6. Cruise didn't give up when that movie tanked. He prayed his Scientology-loving ass off to Xenu and righted that ship. Debbie didn't take her toys and go home. She manned up, oiled up, and laid down on another mattress and got back in the fight. So I guess what I'm saying, Left and LaGravy, just like Debbie... You need to dig deep for the smack-off, and on June 25th, find your own special dirty mattress, lay down on it, take your quaaludes, and do what you were born to do, what you were meant to do. Get trounced for two hours and 45 minutes until you offer up a whiny, high-pitched squeal of surrender. Ah, screw it. Don't bother showing up, fat Adam Silver. It's my crown anyway. Give me those spin doctor tickets, Jim. Little bitch, little bitch, little bitch left is gone. He's on that dirty mattress, and he'll be there all night long. Little bitch, little bitch, little bitch, laugh is gone. He's jumped the shark, and Rich Flores is snorting off Ira's song. Booger sugar off Ira's song, yeah! My man, go ahead and rack him. This is what you get when a former smack-off champ RSVPs. Generally, their RSVP is smack-off quality, literally. Like, that's the kind of call you would get on that day. That's the kind of call you would get on that day.
officially go time what's cracking welcome to the program it is going to be a big big month i mean we always go hard i go hard in the paint because y'all can't let's make sure we leave it all out there You're on the clock it is go time let's get it pretty whack weekend that's whack Yo, Dell, what's up so either he's one of the all-time dirty guys or he's one of the all-time unluckiest players Chris Paul blocking out LeBron because it keeps happening somehow. But it can't be both, right? Phil defeats happy, happy. Father Time. Again, there's not anybody anywhere not named that guy who thought that was possible. And credit to this guy, man. He did He it. saw the impossible and made it real. But don't you come in here and run your I told you so junk. Vincent Goodwill is joining us. Jim, have you ever been on the train in New York City? Yes, I have. Bombs are literally thrown up like rice at weddings, okay? Anytime you guys are in West Virginia, you're welcome to come down to eat dinner with us. Homemade chicken pot pie or homemade potato soup. Now we're talking. Is it just me or does Melissa sound smoking hot? Come on. I'm not going to answer the question. For giving us the gifts. And, and by gifts, I mean legends. And by legends, I mean this guy. Hey, Jim. What's going on, man? Snack. So, I don't know whose idea that was. Wow, it was a was bad weird. idea, whosever idea it was. Kevin Kelly. Hopefully, if you're ever in the South Carolina area on a Saturday and we're in town, stop by. We'll give you the best treatment, give you the sideline view, and uh, it's open to anybody that wants to come. You know, sometimes. That's <laughs> why I lost my train of thought, yeah. Hearing that voice. It is so incredible. I loved everything about it, and I loved how Brooks handled it. That is legendary. Forget about Phil. The most memorable thing about the weekend was that video. Antoine Bethea is joining us right now. I'm actually enjoying this, right? So a lot of times, I think now players are starting to realize how much power they have, right? Are those actual birds in the background? Where are you? I'm out in, on my front step, man. Peaceful back here. Dude, it sounds amazing. With the voices of Chris and Asleen had a baby, it would sound like a prepubescent Chewbacca experiencing a bronchial asthma attack. Listen up here, boozy. If she don't like it, well, she can go jump in a dumpster, hang out with some trash pandas, and eat a maggot sandwich. Well done, maggots. Well done. Jonathan Jones joining us. If the Green Bay Packers want to continue to want to hold the boombox outside of his window and let him know how desperate they are to have him, then they can trade a second-round pick for Julio, and maybe we'll see him back in the green goal. Luca gets the trouble on the move. Wow. Yo, my Amazing. man Lloyd Vaught doesn't want any of that. If the Clippers do finish off this tank job who or what are they going to blame it on this time uh, melvin gordon the third you know i can see him being a, a college coach he's just that phenomenal at what he do man that passionate man he can motivate a baby <laughs> jim the only time you're gonna have any peace and quiet this summer is when your head's underwater my advice to you Pack a snorkel. Put your beef. My beef is with the drive-up ATM machines that have Braille on all the buttons. My beef is with the guy intensely swimming laps in the middle of a crowded resort pool. My beef is with these callers trying to mix production value into their call. Party host guy, last minute while I'm on the way, he asked me to buy ice. See the ice! Lots of ice. Ice. Ice up, son. Was there ever a time like when a new coordinator came in where you thought, holy shit, like how did this guy get this gig? We are just <laughs> You know pretty quickly whether you're kind of screwed over or not. You just have to deal with it, whether you like it or not. William in Clearwater. I was trying to see if I could reach out to Jim about those golden uh, golden nuggets of the sport event uh, events that you guys have going on. Which game? Um, I believe it would be the one coming up uh, 
on Saturday. Ah. My man just tried to climb a golden nugget. I got a golden nugget. Pulling up in his luxury sled with a ramp that pops out so he can roll out in a rascal. Welcome to the bleeping smack off. Kevin Euclid is joining us. I literally had one of the worst games. They get ready to swarm in front of my locker, and all of a sudden, I hear this voice say, hey. And all of a sudden, the media members all turn around and look, and it's Pedro. You don't talk to the rookie. You come talk to me. It was like Moses parting the Red Sea. Ladies' garments fall off at a 1,000 yards. I'll now self-gloss as Johnny in erect this. And then we got this thing going on in Philly. The popcorn rain. Popcorn rain. Popcorn rain. What's wrong with these guys? Give me those spin doctor tickets, Jim. Little bit, little bit, little bit left is gone. He's on that dirty mattress and he'll be there all night long. Little bit, little bit, little bit left is gone. How about, can we put the lobster in there too? I'm glad to be a friend of the program, Jim. That's the quick in and out burger with cheese. Thank you, Pedro. I got needed in nuts. Take a picture of two for us and post it on Facebook of a shirtless Jim Rowe. Raccoon pot pie. Picture girl off Irish song, yeah! Oh, yeah. I honestly wouldn't even care. 20 foot ball pit filled with anacondas. <laughs> Golden restraining order. Much love, bro. I'll come back anytime, JR. What did John Fox say? And until next time, Jim. Good night now! Good night now!